<laughs> okay, just throw my voice off a little. Everybody hear me okay? Okay, just relax. Doesn't matter, we'll get by. Okay, that's what you have to do with technology show you're not frightened of it. <laughs> Cooperates. Our session is coming to an end and some of you will not be able to be here for the final uh, minutes and hours of the day. And um, so I I don't think you're rushing back to do singing, dancing and wearing garlands in your hair. (laughs) 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 I think there are probably other things on your mind that have to be dealt with. Uh, Fortunately, I don't have to wear garlands in my hair. So... Mm -hmm to think about that but yes you know duties our responsibilities our ongoing you know network that we live within so naturally um, I'm looking for some uh, guidelines to kind of refresh and remind ourselves of and I think even in this just what can seem just a couple of days or so, certainly there can be quite a lot of uh, deepening just by maintaining sense restraint and, you know, limiting what we do. Automatically start to deepen just by that fact alone without any drive in it. You have to push in meditation, it happens. As soon as you stop doing other things, it happens. <laughs> it's a matter of then it just, well, how do you handle what happens? And we begin to recognize, you know, that a lot of the paradigms of what we imagine your life to be about, straight lines and things happening on time, doesn't refer, doesn't relate to the experience of reality. <laughs> when it's very fluid, uh, what's going on. Uh, you know, it can be things from yesterday, five years ago, things we can't even explain, emotional movements, shifts of energy, there's tides and waves. And, and so then, uh, why, you know, when we look, what's going to really handle that is something that allows life to be tidal, tides and waves, because that's how it is. Uh, and we want to, so there's something that both contains but cannot possibly stop that flow. In fact, can make that flow rather enjoyable. Yeah, this means we've always got to relate to our, to the reality of our experience rather than impose a set of good ideas, let alone bad ideas, but even good ideas on it. Yeah. And so this sense in meditation, essentially it's time we really get in touch and move out of the conventions uh, you know, times and dates and schedules and business into just, oh, what's, what am I, I'm alive. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't come here to do a job, I came here to be alive. <laughs> and uh, perhaps even to be happy. Or at least to not generate suffering for myself and others. <laughs> uh, uh, so we kind of begin to establish, well, that's, that's not a bad uh, project to be involved with, and what generates the suffering. Uh, so, you know, sometimes in Buddhism it sounds kind of gloomy because you always talk about suffering and stress, but actually because... That's all you have to do, is, is if you clear that, the rest of it happens by itself. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to kind of impose some Buddhist idea of the great awakening or the great life or the great project. Just stop messing yourself up. <laughs> and then see what's there. You know, and that, that gets better as you sort of from grosser levels of stress... 
the subtle levels of stress because the the uh, the dysfunctions and the harm we do is is not just um, bad; it also feels bad. Uh, and we have to apply means that feel good. So again, even with these Buddhist notions, mindfulness and attention and resolve and walking, sitting and so forth, I may sound um, slightly heretical, but make these feel good rather than just right. (laughs) Feel good, not in a light superficial way, but even if you're doing work and it's good work and you know this... This, is, this feels good. Cleaning feels good. You know, maybe I'm dealing with some, some messy stuff, but the cleaning feels good. There's a sense of bright resolve and happiness that one is doing something most important and uh, for oneself and for others. Because again, we may have an idea of how we can help others or what other people need to be or how we can make them better or something or the other. But actually, the best way we can help others is stop being so cranky ourselves. <laughs> uh, uh, cranky, self-obsessed and pushy. That would probably be a great help to other people. Because <laughs> then, the, the, then if that is released, there's a natural quality of heart, which is, is, is relationship. Oh. Other people, yeah. And uh, we enjoy the fact that we're not all the same. It makes it interesting rather than how can I make them be like me or the way I want them to be. Let it be mysterious and enjoy it. But this means a certain spaciousness in the way we relate to each other and even to relate to ourselves. Remember, if you don't, the two end up being the same thing because the kind of attitudes that you carry towards others will certainly affect the way you relate to yourself. So if you're forceful and pushy, that's going to be what you do to yourself. You may not even realize it. You're obsessive, then in yourself you're going to be obsessive about other people. If you're perfectionist towards yourself, you can do the same thing to other people. The mind learns sets of strategies. Yeah. And perfectionism itself is a kind of negative force because it's always asking us to strain away from to strain <laughs> to some standard that we can't achieve. Yeah. But there's a natural unfolding and enriching and development that occurs when we recognise the good. As the Buddha says, kusala supasampada, uplift, authorize that which is truly beautiful, wholesome, good. Upasampada, that's the word they use for ordination. (laughs) It means raising up into, raising up into Dhamma and and what is truly good. And how do you know that? What's truly good? It's not just an idea. It's when your mind, your heart feels clear, not fretful, free from hindrances, wakeful, alert, attentive. You can rely upon it. And this has to be our fundamental aim for our own welfare and the welfare of others. So then the Eightfold Path becomes uh, the thing that we have a compass, eight points on that compass. And like uh, you need all, the whole set. But it begins with right view, which is the sense there is the good. The good, we look at right view, there is goodness, there is the good, there is the benefit of giving, of offering, of sacrificing, of giving up, of venerating, you know, whatever sacrifice means, make something sacred, 
give yourself to it. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice means rise out of just pure self-interest into something greater. There's a benefit in that. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? It means we're coming out of a very a narrow life of just me and mine into something that's constantly grander, bigger, wider, wider yeah. than just that limited self-interest. This is the beginning of right view. Mm-hmm. And any, any movement in that direction, you know, because you can't say, well, it's, you can't put numbers on it, but you can say any movement in that direction, you feel, yeah, this is, this is bringing out the good. This is bringing out the good. Mm-hmm. Because it's widening and opening, and it's, and it's relational. Mm-hmm. There is mother, there is father, sense of relationships to others we inherit. And therefore we are, we are, we are, we are enormously gifted, we're given to, by other beings. And there's just two obvious examples. Gave us life, breath, free board and lodging. At least for nine months. <laughs> <laughs> And which is and when you're totally helpless, can't do anything. So this is since we the gratitude, whatever they like as people, as personalities, we that we got set up with that. Therefore, you know, can we what happens when we re- remember that? And we want to continue in that in that theme that we in a way are parents to each other. We, we have that same caring for, looking for, offering to. Can we recognize that quality? Mm. Mm. And there are those who recognize, who teach there is this world and another world. It's not just all secular materialism. Yeah. Or just the limitations of our sense consciousness, which is always bounded. What we see, what we can conceive of, what we can see is very limited to what there actually is. And we think the world is what we see, touch, taste. But uh, that's just the human consciousness, very limited. Even human mind consciousness is pretty limited. You know, we can recognize if the you know, where, where human beings, the way they thought a thousand years ago, now we've got all kinds of things people never even imagined, couldn't conceive of, what the planets were, solar system, atoms, so forth. It just goes on. And it's still eventually limited because nobody knows why. <laughs> why did it all happen? What's it all about? What's the purpose? Yeah. And those who have seen this world and the world beyond, beyond those limitations, say, well, there is a purpose. You know, purify the heart. The rest of it, you'll just keep growing and people have more notions and ideas and measurements and so forth. That just keeps expanding and changing. And that seemingly uh, wonderful um, uh, development, which has its wonders, still doesn't take you out of suffering. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we go beyond those worlds into this fluid reality whereby we are learning to balance and find the still place in the center of the world, center of our world. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? Do you touch it? Do you acknowledge it? it's like what it's like to when you stand and you feel the body comes into balance and you can feel the sensations of the legs or the chest or the arms and there's something within that it's just quiet light but absolutely essential otherwise everything falls down it's so 
so obvious and so matter-of-fact we notice the movements and the physical sensations and where we're going we don't really notice the most important thing which is that, that inner balance the body does you, you can practice it because a lot of the time we don't rely upon that we kind of lean on things or tense up but just to find that balance when you stand relax everything for that moment and you can even do this just for 20 seconds in your day and stand on your feet 20 seconds if you can't find 20 you can take it 10 <laughs> I think you can generally get a minute or two and just let all the weight drop not to say uh, this is not important, but no, I've got to get the priorities right. If I'm just coming from an unbalanced place, and the body is a good indication of the way your where your mind and your heart are leaning, yeah, generally towards the future, or resisting something, or hanging on to something, they're not. So the body gives you a good indication of that. So you just come into that balanced state in your body, tune into it, listen to it. Let that release the pressures, the pressures and the demands the thinking mind comes up with. The pushes and the emotional heart comes up with. And then when it gets steady, they become reliable. You can begin to rely upon the thoughts or the inclinations that arise from balance because that balance is something that heart needs to be reminded of many times because by and large we're led by feeling feeling applies a certain pressure to us mm. you know, whether, it's the feel, whether it's urgencies we get a sense of being pushed forward because we really worried that it won't work so we get an unpleasant feeling we're trying to get away from by making things tidy and getting things sorted out I don't want that unpleasant feeling of I'm going to be blamed, things are going to break down when you get down to it it's just unpleasant feeling release that, it's okay I'll do what I can in accordance with my capacities what else can you do? And in this understanding of uh, dukkha, not just the, the dukkha which is our own suffering, but dukkha is the natural, you know, <laughs> unfinished, untidy <laughs> nature of life. You know, dukkha is a characteristic of existence rather than a tension in the heart. Just everything has a tendency to kind of break down and. Uh, not work and that's what it not be tidy you know you can clean your house every day and it's still going to be the next day (laughs) right is it ever so it's not to say you don't do it but you do it with a sense of just what I can do rest or just to learn to live with and not get fretful and upset about and we can take this attitude to ways, the ways we live with others. Everybody, they make mistakes, they forget. They have emotional upheavals. That's the way it goes. You know? Then practicing in the world really is a training. It's a constant test and a training to find the, the place where you can be without tightening up without rushing forward without hanging back that's that center if you find if you tune into that in terms of your chitta your heart again you notice that feeling comes it moves an emotion comes and moves 
And then rather than add to it, just allow it to blur, to move through, to wave. And where does it go? Now, if you don't add to it or resist it or speculate about it, it moves to empty. It just comes, it washes through and it fades out. It takes some training to not keep adding things. Because when we don't add anything, we can also recognize a lot of the additions we make to our mind state's attempts to suppress it or get away from it. Not be, not be aware of it. You get a movement of anger or ill will and say, oh, it's okay, but it's okay, never mind, never mind, get on with it, just stop. So the ill will arises, negative feeling arises, and it will just wash through. And you think, well, is that really conducive? It is in the long run because the less you get agitated or stirred up by it, actually those waves die down. Because it's in the feedback of reacting to these emotional tides that something more substantial is laid down in that reacting to emotional tides, the way we want this and don't want to feel that, and should feel this and shouldn't feel that. What gets added to all that by by adding these layers to it? Well, <laughs> you've probably recognized this, the I am. The I am who's always censoring, editing, carrying, changing, shifting, speculating. And, you know, and then this then becomes something that becomes problematic because it becomes incessant <laughs> and, uh, and judgmental on self and others and needy. Mm. It becomes something that actually is set up seemingly to, to uh, manage uh, an emotional or a mental or phenomena as they occur to us, but actually it becomes a, a <laughs> a thing itself that becomes more problematic. So there's a famous sutta where the, there's a debate going on and this uh, one person is saying, as far as they understand it, uh, a noble one is one who experiences no evil intentions of body, speech or mind. So there's person listens to this and he takes this message back to the Buddha he says the Buddha is a noble one is one who has no evil intention of body, speech or mind a noble attained one the Buddha says well in that case newborn baby doesn't do much evil intending can't even think straight <laughs> let alone speak and he only kick his legs in the air so but they're not a noble one they just haven't <laughs> hasn't developed yet <laughs> they got the potential to do it later on. <laughs> so there's a no one who's one who recognizes an unskillful intention when it arises, doesn't react to it, doesn't get caught in it, that moves on and empties out. Yeah. And then they begin to explore how did this intention arise? Hmm wanting something, perceiving something to be a certain way, having a fixed idea, should be this way, should be that way, having a plan, I want it to be like that, based upon these habits and instincts. And we recognize these habits and instincts need to be moderated. Our wishes, our desires, our ideals. There's much more, can I live in my own skin? And you know, in a comfortable way, a clear way. This is exceptionally grounded mm. and pragmatic. When you cultivate like that, you get 
we understand the tides, where they come from, and you also understand the place where they don't reach, which is that inner balanced quiet place where the tides don't reach. And it's witness you could call it witnessing. Yeah. But it's actually something you might find it more useful to imagine it to be something like an open hand, which can both the hands can both receive, sense, and moderate. They can hold things lightly, they can relax and open, they can firm up. And when you begin to sense, perhaps the most important function of the hand is the palm of the hand. We make a lot out of what we can do with it, but actually, you know, one of the most important parts is just that palm of the hand, because that's where we meet each other when we shake hands. That's where the warmth is. That's the receptivity is. That's where the lightness is. And can we carry or let our thoughts and feelings just land on that? see what that does. Mm. And then of course, you know, you've got those fingers that can say this, like, release that, release that. But it's much more clearing, a clearing action, clearing action. Mm. Now through, through this uh, daily life practice, you can look also at certain very um, reliable um, resolutions, which are always good to have some sense of, uh, of uh, let's say, an action plan, but a, a guiding thing on your fridge door, if you like, or on your car driver's console, is something to remind you. you know. And you know, this, well, I think what's very useful is the ten parami. These are means these are kind of overriding reminders. Mm-hmm. They kind of life is circumstances. These are these are the vehicles. You could say parami means those which take you across the flood, across the floods. A reliable boat in this tidal experience. This is the first of these is dana, giving. Uh, the gesture of giving, the heart movement of giving, which can be material, but also uh, hospitality, advice, healing. Mm. So we have developed that dana mudra. This is what hands do very well. Yeah, and uh, as we've seen just on a situation here, highlighted the last few days just that the generosity that comes in to nourish us, the generosity of the people who have established it, set it up, organized it, you know, helping out, and the happiness that comes with that, and the feeling welcome that comes with that. If we remember that, the generosity of others, then we become, we feel happy that love is there, we feel cared for, and we get less needy, less demanding, less, more comfortable. Because it's all dana. With dana, with generosity, you can't say it's not enough. Because it's not, it's not, it's not a payment. Dana is always enough. <laughs> Just you keep adjusting what you need according to what you, what's happened, what's arising. Yeah. And so even every day, you know, I'm sort of uh, getting to the point where I thank my knees every day for managing to get me up <laughs> off the floor. Because <laughs> they're sort of saying, you know, time's running out <laughs> on this. <laughs> they kind of creak a little bit when I have to lift the body up. Oh, thank you, knees. They say, okay. You know, you know the body getting through a day. Thank you, body not giving me too much pain. And so that, just leaving me having sense of this is a gift too. And how long it goes on for, you don't know. 
but you, you say you don't say, well, I didn't think much of this one, I want another one. <laughs> but what takes that away when we think we own it? Or are it? Then you don't appreciate it. You know, it's backaches, I don't like this back. You know, well, you know, it's a gift. That's what, that's what you... <laughs> it could be worse. And so this dana is always so good because it gives us a recognition of we can't survive on our own. We never were able to survive on our own. We didn't get here on our own. We, to get born, you need quite a group of people to just get you born and get you fed and to get you clothed. It's a whole kind of group effort. Yeah. So we don't own any of it. So it's mutuality. We realize we're living in a mutual experience of other, other beings. <clears throat> this very much encourages sila yeah. to others as to myself. Is the simple rule of sila, sensitivity to others as to myself. Dana sila. Uh, yeah. And because uh, the way that our jitta is uh, sensed, we've got to keep leveling out. You know the, the self and other thing. Remember, other people are not what we think they are, not what we imagine they are. So you have to listen and be receptive. Mm. If you have that sense of conscience and concern. And you realize you can see very easy to uh, just be not be sensitive to others, and you can say things that are not the right time, the right place, not the right tone, um, you know, not taking other people's interests and lives into your heart. So you can be unreceptive, is the subtler de- defection of. of Sila, when it's not going correctly, we're not really sensitive to other creatures, their welfare. They're not what we think we are, the way they are. Other people are not what we think they are. We keep forming opinions, <laughs> but they're not that. But what they are is also tides and waves uh, and that they have to manage. Mm and live with. So there's a lot of spaciousness. This is certainly supported by the third parami, Nikamba renunciation, which very simply means we're not getting fascinated by the sense, the appearance of sense consciousness. You know, I mean, sometimes renunciation sounds like it's kind of an ascetic shirt experience, perhaps that's just the nature of the English word, but Nikamba, Kamma, is the sensuality. So when we get fascinated by sight, sight, touch, taste, um, you know, and so on, then our minds become limited, blinkered, our hearts get drugged by it, by the glow and the glitter and the pull that, uh, that we can find in sense objects. So renunciation is just acknowledging that and I'm losing balance. If I give too much attention to this, I won't be attentive to what's more important. If I get too much attentive attentive to what I can see and taste and touch and so forth, I won't be giving attention to my balance, my silence, my openness, which is more important in the long term. Sight, sound, touch will run away, come and go, lead you, pull you around, and leave. (laughs) Your own awareness, balance, and receptivity will stay and get bigger and stronger and carry you through birth and death, which which is more important. (laughs) Does it mean we can't see anything? No, it just means you're not getting fascinated by it. You see, you touch, you taste, but you're not getting hypnotized, fascinated, drugged, driven into it, and then pulling away. 
get a light, holding the sense world lightly. It's giving you power. If you get this one, then you have immense uh, power to resist the pull of the consumer world. This gives rise to discernment, panya. Begin to discern what's what's important, what's not important, what's the most important, what's less important, where where my priorities lie. Keeping that exercised. Again, we tend to go into automatic, following habits, following customs, following systems, believing in our thinking mind. Don't go into automatic on life. That's the message of wisdom. Don't go automatic. (laughs) Keep testing. Keep sensing. Keep awake. Kanti, your patience, means your ability to maintain... Uh, timelessness. How long do I have to be patient for? (laughs) I remember somebody uh, uploads some of my Dhamma talks onto some kind of website whereby you can download them, you see, and then people would comment on it. It says, you know, Maggie listened to this talk for 45 minutes, very nice. Or this one, so and Joshua listened to this talk, he found it interesting, and so forth. I got one, something like, being patient with life. Susie listened to this for 14 seconds. <laughs> oh, this is a drag. <laughs> Patience is a, a tremendous way of crossing the tides because the tides come and you say, stay there, stay there, and the tide's pushing, stay there, until then, then the tides, the pressures begin to subside. <laughs> it's enormous. Because you're patient with yourself patient with your moods, patient with your body, patience with life. A sense of the pushing, the rage and the tangles. And just patience. It doesn't mean being stiff, it means being incredibly spacious. Yeah. When there's no time limit. As long as it takes to let it pass through. You keep this in mind. To any degree, you know, to any degree, just the, even as a reference point, because it's a kind of a bit of a lost concept. The only time you hear it now is when some airline company, you know, cancels your flight and they thank you for it. <laughs> well, you know, you get grounded somewhere because the flight won't take off. They thank you for patience. I'm not patient. <laughs> But actually, generally, impatience is more like, get ahead, instant, quick, fast this, get on with life, instant banking, instant everything, instant noodles, (laughs) instant happiness, immediately. (laughs) You know, just, you think, I don't trust that, you know, it's kind of superficial, deepening. You realize the tides have to push. They have to push, that's their nature. But this nature of the quiet balance is it doesn't get pushed. You just have to let that one be as it is. Truthfulness. So being honest in one's speech, saying how it is without exaggerating it. It also means knowing being truthful about what you know. Do you know something for sure? Or do you get a half rumour of it? Do you know it for sure, yourself? Or just believe an opinion or a rumour? So, so all you can say is, I've heard this said. (laughs) Or I have an opinion that. 
You know, it doesn't say it's true. It just I have an opinion that, or it seems to me that, or you know, they say this. A lot of people recommend that, but then you look at well, who are the people who are recommending it? <laughs> you know. So we begin to recognise, you know, a lot of our practice essentially is sevanachabalanam, not to associate, not to follow people who are not who are not wise. Doesn't mean you dislike them, you say, I'm not going there. But to follow those who you do feel a sense of they're judicious, they're impartial, they're balanced, they say what they know and they say the limit of it. Somebody who says they have no limits is somebody you, you should mistrust. <laughs> and this is as far as I know. Check it out for yourself. So the truth is something we offer to each other. It means not I'll be truthful to you. I'll be truthful by saying you have to know the truth for yourself. I can only say it the way it seems to me. Yeah. So it's no push in it. The truth is something we respect in each other and encouraging each other. That's the rest of it's just the information. Until it lands in your own heart, it's not true yet. It's a good idea, it's not true yet, until it lands there. Mm-hmm. Then you know it. Pachatam. Authentic. Mm. Resolution. Something we encourage just to have reasonable resolutions you can actually manage. So, you know, generally have this New Year resolution thing. People like to take New Year resolutions, and generally, after a month, it's kind of (laughs) got to be afraid. (laughs) 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 So, it's something you kind of kind of keep revising. At least I can resolve to keep the five precepts, and I resolve, you know, get up in the morning and do 15 minutes, 20 minutes of something still, about just inner cleaning. You know, make, make resolutions that are manageable and realistic that for your welfare. The ones you know you should make. And then make a resolution to really know you need to make it. That's the first thing. Because if you know you need to make it in your heart of hearts, yeah, I do need to make that. And then that which knows that, which is not harsh or judgmental, idealistic, uh, that that then says, now you've touched truth. You said it. I heard it. Okay? <laughs> and you can even, when you make resolutions, just a good to, to kind of stand, even fold your arms and say, that's it. That's it. That's what we're going to do. And then say it for a month, for a week, and see how it goes. Then it's working, keep it going. But it's enormously helpful because you do realize the nature of the tidal currents. Is it always changing and shifting? And we can get swept away in them, so you need to find some way in which you've got that anchoring keel to stay steady. And if if this works for you, you find it more capable of making further subtler and sustainable resolves. Parami, metta, goodwill, heart openness, non-judgmental, non Dismissive, free from cruelty, cynicism, resentment, bitterness. That's an enormous uh, paramean, also aspiration to sustain it. And this is, I've tried to, to, to remind people, this is not just about like being nice to other people, it's about finding where the heart get saddened, hurt, sore, contracted, bringing compassionate energy to that. And so you can practice this very simply, just imagine when you're feeling 
stressed or uncomfortable with yourself, imagine, bring to mind the fact that every day someone has offered you some goodwill. It may have been a smile, it may have been opening a door, it may have been helping you with the dishes, it may have been something much more generous. But every day someone has offered you goodwill, did you notice it? Uh, you may have sort of half noticed it and take it into your heart what's it like to have that coming this way and even further in your life people who you feel you've had immense gratitude to given a lot how does that feel without having to pay it back just to allow yourself to open receptive to the fact that there's a lot of goodwill around. And if we listen to it and tune into it, we stay in that theme rather than flicker and then go into worry, restlessness, doubt. Listen to the theme, what the heart's like when it's opened. And that normally begins with other people do it to us. That's how it began. Yeah when we were very small. That's where it came from. That's how we knew it. We sensed it as a gift. When we were just helpless and small and not knowing anything. That's the image. A mother with a child or only child. That's the image. Remember that. Imagine that. Take it in. How does it affect you? It's not based upon judgments of how effective you are, how useful you are, how intelligent you are, what you look like. Not based upon anything like that. Just this is for you. Just because it's it's the healthy, healthy norm that unfortunately gets lost through this confusions. Mm. Receive it, enjoy it. Heart opens to that and naturally begins to emanate that towards others, towards yourself. You wake it up. And it starts going. Wake it up many times. Mm. This, this soul parami itself mm. it means with that your needs diminish. This is the most fundamental need. If that's there, the other needs start to fall away because we're getting the sense of satisfaction where it really counts in relationship. Upeka, Upeka is equanimity. This is the tenth parami. And uh, this means we are able to maintain that sensitivity, unwavering, when life goes up and down. Success, you don't clamp onto it as if that's going to be the norm, that's going to happen constantly. Just that's one wave. Failure, that's another one. <laughs> and so, what is it that, okay, it's t- tide's turning? Because this again is, is reminding us of this, something we can do, and it reminds us of this, of this invisible presence that we don't acknowledge, which is that talking about the centre of balance, which because it's not felt and it doesn't speak, we don't recognise it. But these parami bring it to light because you recognise something there is not getting lost in the tides and the floods. And it's not something you have to think about or create. You just, you, you know, you, you get a sense of those terms and what they're referring to. They keep inclining you back to your own boat. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there are definitely things that we can see the, the actions, the beauty of the parami is they're definitely pretty simple, not complicated notions that we can actually do. And then where they take you to this place where oh, I don't feel bothered. I'm okay. I'm open. I'm not frantic. You know? They take you to this place that we don't acknowledge. And it's so necessary and precious. And so Buddha, in his own clarity, in his own understanding, in his own compassion, presented many teachings for us to find this place, the place of the ending of Dukkha, the place where the tides don't flood or wash over. And it's up to us to, you know, open, train, attune, practice to this. So I'll leave it there for today. And uh, some of you will be leaving after the meal, I understand. Um, so, animal dinner, well done. You know, we recognize these are. Certainly, I see you know the the accommodation has been all we could possibly offer. It's probably wouldn't if you looked in the UN Bill of Human Rights, it would <laughs> probably <laughs> be considered a violation. <laughs> How many people can you cram in a shower? <laughs> So I recognise there's been a lot of giving up, <laughs> letting go and accommodating and, congrat- and you managed to do that and I haven't heard any complaints, generally the comments have been positive. This is wonderful and, uh, and the sense in which individually also a sense of, you know, the collecting, gathering together is definitely possible, comfortable and enjoyable and uh, long may it be that way. Mm-hmm.